wanted to look at the subject of creation um, for a few minutes, so turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1, um, and if you have trouble finding that, you might want to go to Children's Church. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, uh, somebody said that looking at the subject of creation is trying to do this in a sermon. It's kind of like trying to capture the Niagara Falls in a quart jar. And there is a lot of information out there. I thought what I would try to do this morning is to confine myself to what the Bible presents, what the Bible teaches. And so that's the direction we'll try to go in. That'll reduce it down quite a bit. <clears throat> And when you look uh, in Genesis chapter 1, let me just read this beautiful statement here in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I love the simplicity of it, the majesty of it. And, it, and the way he did it uh, is he simply spoke everything into existence. There's a certain dignity and majesty about that. You know, God speaks, and it is so. Like a king on a throne who gives an, uh, an order, a command to his servants, and that servant hastens to carry out his will. For example, you find this idea in verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He just said it. Verse 6, God said, let there be expanse in the midst of the waters. God said it. And verse 7 says it was so. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth vegetation. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the heavens to separate day from night. And it was so. So you get the idea here that the um, that there is a an absolute authority with and power that is released when God speaks. Now there's there's a graduation here when he makes the animate creation, that is, the living creation. Uh, inanimate, he speaks and it is so. But notice in verse uh, 25 of chapter 1, and God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds. Now that's a little different word. That's a little different idea. He didn't just speak and the beast of the earth and the animals came forth, but when it came to living beings, he made them. The Hebrew word is asa. There's a certain uh, aloofness about that. It simply needs to bring pressure to bear so that it becomes so. And there's also a, a, an even higher graduation when it comes in chapter 2, verse 7, Chapter 2, verse 7, it says that the Lord God 
formed the man from the dust of the ground. Now there the word is not asa, which is, describes the animals, but here in chapter 2, verse 7, he yatsar. It's the word that implies a potter who shapes a vessel. It has to do with hands-on. God actually used, if you can say, his hands. He touched, he shaped. And it's different with man than it is from animals, different from animals than it is with inanimate material world. And then look at chapter 2 and verse 22. He took a rib from the man he had made, and it says he, uh, the Hebrew word here is bana, and it's a different word altogether. Bana is translated in chapter 4, verse 17 as built. Cain went out and built Bana city. That's the word used right here. Now this, that has to do with architecture. That has to do with thought and careful preparation. So we would say it like this. God made the world. He formed the man, but the woman is built. <laughs> Amen. There's a delicacy here that you don't get in these other Hebrew words. This word is used when it says that he, he took the rib that the Lord God took from the man, he built a woman. Bana. It's the same word used in Deuteronomy 22.8 of a man who built a house. Careful, thoughtful, detailed. Uh, someone said in looking at these words that man was made, but you, like a potter makes a vessel, but you can make an ugly mug. But a woman is built like an exquisite piece of china. God was involved in both of them, but each one is just a little more delicate. So, these are the words that, that are used and... Uh, uh, when you look at the first chapter and God speaking the worlds into existence, God forming animals and man on the sixth day, uh, the question might be asked is, did God, are these days um, 24 hour days? And because there are some, you know, who hold that, uh, that he made the, uh, the world and called them days, but they're like ages. And they're called days or stages. Now, I would hold, and I respect uh, there there are good people on that side, but uh, but I hold that these days of Genesis one are literal twenty-four hour days. Let me put uh, Exodus thirty-one verse fifteen just uh, as an example of why I would hold that these Genesis one days are twenty-four hour days. Look at uh, Genesis 31. Six days may work be done. This is God's law through Moses. Six days may work be done on the seventh, the Sabbath, holy to the Lord. 
And so the children of Israel keep the Sabbath for a perpetual covenant. Uh, were those six days that they worked and then rested the seventh, were those six days 24-hour days? Yeah. I mean, evidently, unless they worked ages. <laughs> they worked six days and rested the Sabbath. Now, nobody's ever said those are ages. Now, look how he takes the, the work week of Israel culminating in Sabbath and gives the reason for it. Why? Verse 17. Because it's a sign between men and children of Israel, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh he rested. See how he correlates the two? Well, if the six days of creation or seven days of creation were ages or periods of evolution, then how can he say the Lord made heaven and earth on the seventh day he rested? He correlates the two. So I take Genesis 1 as literal 24-hour days, and science will have its opinions. You know, science changes a lot in time. So let it fluctuate, let it offer its uh, reasonings, let it give its carbon dating. But I think I'm just going to stay with the Bible, even though I don't have all the answers. I'll just stick with it there. And... Uh, out of respect for God's Word. Uh, another issue is, uh, are, is there any evolution at all? And I would use the word adaptation. Is there adaptation? And I say yes. There's obviously, and you can even use the word evolving to some extent. There's animals change colors during the, during different winter season or springtime, summertime. There's gradual adaptation to the environment over time and species will change. Here's what we object to. What is what scientists call spontaneous generation. That is that life came from nothing. Spontaneous generation. That is what we would object to, and if that's what how you define evolution, we must reject evolution as being unbiblical, unsound, unhealthy, and even uh, heretical. Now you can you can change things. You can tinker with the species. Look at uh, look at chapter one and verse twenty five. God made the beast of the earth according to their species, their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps according to its kind. You can't really cross those species boundaries. You can't cross a roach bug with a horse, for example. Now, you can do some tinkering within the species. Uh, and I brought, I got a, an example here of a crossing of a lion and a tiger. Have you ever heard of the, this called the liger? <laughs> That's what it's called, the liger. So far as I know, this is the only one in the United States. His name is Hercules, and he's in a zoo in Miami. Uh, I guess he's still alive, but he's like twice the size of a, of a man. He's a huge... He's the largest animal in the cat family. But when you, even tinkering within the species, 
you, uh, uh, you, they become sterile. A liger is rare and it's prone to disease and blindness and it, and, uh, they are sterile. They only last one generation. God has made boundaries that you cannot cross. And, and, and this is given to us in Genesis 1. Um, one other, one other thing I want to point out here, and that is in Genesis 1, when God made the world, the last thing He made was man. In other words, there is a there is an importance to a man or a woman, humanity, that is not given any other of the animate or inanimate creation. Humanity is the peak of creation. It, it is what God was headed for. Um, and so man is different from every created thing, whether it's immaterial or living thing. Notice verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is something you do not get about any of the animals. Animals do not have that set of them. What does that mean? We're made in His image. It means we have the capacity for worship and ethics and conscience. I was talking to my oldest daughter. Her and her husband went to, uh, they had a cruise few weeks ago when they went to this one island where they had these monkeys that would come out of the trees and sit on their heads. Uh, you know, that had to be a great thrill. Um, and they'd sit on their shoulders and they said that uh, one of the guys said to them, said, now before you go let the monkeys, you know, get on your shoulders, you have to remove all your earrings. She said, really? Why? She said, because those monkeys will steal your earrings. And I thought, now that's interesting. Monkeys as thieves. Huh. Animals can steal. And animals can kill. Right? Now, can man steal? You bet. Can man kill? Yes. But when he does so, he descends to the level of the animal. Listen to what Second Peter 2, verse 12 says. There are men who blaspheme in matters they don't understand. They are thus like the brute beasts who are simply creatures of instinct. Second Peter 2, 12. So man can descend and be like an animal, but he wasn't made to be. An animal is made to be an animal. When a, a monkey steals, you don't say, hey, that's not right. You need to seek God. You ever witness to your dog? You shouldn't growl at the neighbor's dog. It's not good. You, know, you wasn't raised that way. <laughs> you ever see them pray? Or praise? They howl if you sing a hymn. Or maybe that's just me in my neighborhood. But uh, but you, 
But animals do not have that sense of worship and conscience and dignity and glory that humanity has. So we are distinct from animals. And we should not forget that. Animals are animals. They're on a different level. And man and woman are people in the image of God. Now, maybe just one other quick thought here, and that is that although man is the peak of creation, man is not the goal of creation. What's the goal of creation? And you find it in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished the work he had done, and he rested on the seventh, on the seventh day from all his work, and he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from his work. The idea of the seventh day, see, there's the goal. The idea and the concept of the seventh day was worship. Man is the peak of creation. Worship is the goal of creation. God didn't just make man and say, okay, you're the best I've got. No, he said he, he made man and said, now I'm going to make a special day for us to get together. God made man so they could get together. Heaven and earth joining together. God and man joining together. There, uh, if you said, I want to go to heaven, listen, if you were created on that seventh day, you were in heaven. There was no division between heaven and earth. It was one big a glorious communion between God and His creation. All was joined. Heaven and earth were joined. God and man were joined. Man and man were joined. Husband and wife were joined. Body and soul were joined. But then when Adam sinned, what happened? There was, there was a cosmic rupture in the universe. When Adam ate in disobedience to God, one sin, the whole universe divided. Heaven is now there, earth is down here. God is there, man is here. There was even a division between man and man because Cain and Abel, the brothers, slew each other. One killed the other. There was a division that came and just permeated even to the body and soul. When I say body and soul divided also, what, what, what do you call that? Death. When the soul, spirit leaves the body, you die. Well, when did that happen? Everything became compartmentalized and disintegrated. God and man separated. Man and man separated. Body and soul separated. Heaven and earth separated. Now listen to what the gospel is. Ephesians 1.10. Put that great verse. Give me Ephesians 1.10. This is a wonderful statement of our faith as Christians. Ephesians 1.10. In the fullness of times he gathers together and unites in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth in Jesus Christ. He unites everything, all things. 
In heaven and earth, that means in Jesus Christ, God and man come back together. Heaven and earth come back together. Man and man come back together. And body and soul in resurrection come back together. In the fullness of times, he will totally restore the Edenic beauty and glory and experience. Our prayer is Matthew 16. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Restore it. Make it full. Well, let me give you, I'm just going to walk through these real quick, but there's, um, looks like seven things that we ought to do. We ought to think differently, our worldview, uh, when we consider creation. Uh, it ought to affect, first of all, our view uh, of prayer. Have you heard this promise, Jeremiah 33, 3? Call unto me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. You heard, have you heard that? Is that a great verse? The verse just before it, Jeremiah 33, 2. He says, this is what the Lord says. I made the earth. I am the Lord who formed it. I established it. So call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things you didn't know. See, if God can make a world and he can with a word speak in such universes and creativity suddenly be displayed in a moment, Oh, you ought to call on that God and ask Him to do some things. <laughs> Amen? He can do some things with a word. Call on me. Who are you? I'm the one who spread the heavens out, dude. Uh, that, that's an updated version of the... Another, another thing is our, is our uh, accountability and stewardship. If, if God made the world and everything in it, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, it means that we have a certain accountability to God. <coughs> our life and our environment, and uh, I don't hesitate to say that, there is something to be said for it. Uh, and, but just think about this, there was uh, supporters of euthanasia, you know, right to die. Had a big billboard, I think it was in Atlanta, but it said, it's my life, it's my death, and it's my choice. Well, it caused some controversy, but here's the problem with that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The people, those who dwell therein. See, if God made us, okay, it's got to change our understanding of our stewardship. Not mine. I can't do whatever I choose with my person. Missions. What about missions? Isaiah 49 6. It is far too small a thing to just gather the, uh, the, the exile of Israel. But I will take my salvation to the ends of the earth. For the God, a God this big, he says, it's too small just to save one nation. I'm going to extend my salvation to the ends of the earth. How about guidance? Anybody need guidance? Well, if God can create us, listen to this uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 48, and let me give you verse 12. Isaiah 48, verse 12. Listen to me, Israel. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. 
My hand laid the foundations of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I spoke to them, they all stood forth. Now here's what he says in verse 17. So thus says this Lord that spoke and he laid the right, laid the heavens out. He said, thus says the Lord, verse 17, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord who teaches you. I can teach you to profit. Make money. If God can create the world, He could probably help you get a job. I mean, amen? <laughs> That's what He says. I can teach you to profit. And, and I am the one who leads you in the way you should go. And then what about comfort? Does God care about me? Does God think about me? All right, listen to this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Lift your eyes on high and say, Who created these? This is what he says. He brings out their host, the stars, by number. He calls them each by name. And by the greatness of his might, he's so strong in power, not one is missing. God creates the stars, calls them by names. He has pet names for his stars. There's a lot of stars up there. And not one of them falls unless he permits it to be so. And he says, so why do you say, verse 27, my way is hidden from God and I'm disregarded by my God. What? The God who names the stars and holds them in place and you think he's forgotten you? No way. What does this say about our theology, about Christ? Creation tells us something uh, and I didn't mention this, but did you notice that he said, let us make man in our image? Who's us? Can't be the angels, because nowhere do the angels participate in creation. In fact, they are created themselves. So who's us? Hebrews 1-2, in these last days God spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. His Through Christ, through the Son, he also made the worlds. Let us make man in our image. It was his own son, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right there in Genesis 1. One other thing, worship. Worship is so connected to the creation of the world. When you, when you look at a beautiful sunset or sunrise or uh, a garden of flowers. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve Him with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. He made us and not we ourselves. Come into His presence with singing. Why? Because He made us and not we ourselves. Or Revelation 4, 9 through 11. Let's read verse 11 here. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created. This is a great God. Psalm 86, 9. All nations will come and worship you. They'll bring glory to your name, for you are great. 
greatness of God displayed in his creation.